Today, we are in James chapter 1, verses 19 and through 21. And I hope for some of you today will be a game changer in terms of your relationships. How many of you have ever struggled with anger with somebody in your family or at your work or one of your friends? How many of you have been angry before? Very good. This passage here speaks profoundly to the way that we respond to other people when they hurt us or we perceive a hurt or, or when we misunderstand one another. And I think it's critical for us as individuals to understand these principles as well as, as a church, an extremely diverse church, to know how we relate to people who are different to us. So I hope God is just really going to meet us and change us and challenge us this morning. So will you pause with me before we dive in and ask for the Lord's help with me. Lord, we do need you. And we thank you so much for how you have wisely spoken in your word. I pray today that your spirit would meet us powerfully, that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts and allow the word of God to come in and take root. Thank you that you're a talking God, that you haven't remained silent but you revealed yourself to us and revealed how we should live and revealed what it means to trust in your son and to follow you in your holy word. Lord, use your word in your people today. Hide me behind the cross, get me out of the way and speak to your people. May we hear the voice of the good shepherd this morning. In Christ, I pray, amen. Back in 1947, a book, or 1937, Dale Carnegie wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. How many of you have heard of that book before? Okay. It, this book became the very first in what would become come known as the self-help genre. Now, self-help books now dominate our bookstores and bestseller list, and this was the very first one. And in its time, it was a very successful book, and it continues to be today. It is sold over 15 million copies, and recently, it landed on Times Magazine's 100 Most Influential Books at number 19. So this has been an important book in the way that people think about influencing people. So what is it about Carnegie's book that stri strikes such a popular chord with people? Well, simply consider what the book itself promises to do. Here's what the book itself says that it will do. It will enable you to make friends quickly and easily. It will increase your popularity. It will help you to win people to your way of thinking. It will increase your influence, your prestige, your ability to get things done, help you handle complaints, avoid arguments, keep your human contact smooth and pleasant, make you a better speaker, a more entertaining conversationalist, and help you arouse enthusiasm among all your associates. Who wouldn't want these things? Sounds great. At root, all human beings desire to make an impact on the lives of others. In other words, to put it very simply, we all want to be influencers, right? I mean, really, if you're honest with yourself, we all want to be influencers. And that's the title of the message this morning. And listen to this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with you wanting to influence other people. There's nothing sinful or evil about it. Think about it for a minute. 
If you're a Christian, don't you want to influence others to see the beauty of Christ and trust in him? Yes or no? Yes, of course you do. If you're a parent, don't you want to influence your children to become mature, loving adults? Yes or no? Yes, of course you do. If you work a job, don't you want your efforts to make a positive influence in your community and maybe even in the world? Yes or no? Yes. If you're a citizen, don't you want your voice to be heard and influence your homeland to be a better place? Yes or no? Yes. Nobody says, you know what? I really hope my kids don't listen to me. Or, man, you know what? In this next election coming up, I want my vote to count for nothing. And I'm certainly not standing up here and saying, ha, you know what would be great? Is if everybody would just tune me out for the next 40 minutes. Just not listen to a word that I said. I hope there are a lot of sleeping people during the next half hour. I would be excited by that. That would be awesome. No, that's ridiculous. We all want to influence people and that is not sinful. But here's the problem. We often get ourselves in trouble when we try to influence people in the wrong way, right? Can you identify with that? Instead of having a difficult conversation with a friend or family member, we bury them in a torrent of our own opinion. Instead of patiently instructing our children or our employees or those that are under us at work, we complain about them, manipulate them, perhaps even bribe them. Instead of graciously working through conflict, we offer our adversary either, either our volcano of fury or the iceberg of withdrawal. How many of you are volcanoes in here? How many of you do the volcano of fury? Okay. How many of you do the iceberg of withdrawal? Okay, let's take the poll again because some of you are like, I just don't get angry ever. Okay, how many, those are the two options. How many of you are Krakatoa the volcano? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. How many of you are the iceberg of cold and fine? Fine, fine. You know you're just as mad when you say fine. You understand that. You just don't blow up, right? And this is why this passage today is so helpful. For in it, James lays out a clear biblical guide to influencing people, not with manipulation, not with cajoling, not with anger, not with a tor torrent of opinions, but influencing other people in truly godly ways. Don't you want to be an influencer? Yes or no? And if you're a Christian, don't you want to influence people in a way that is godly? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's my point simply this morning. It's this, we must strive to influence people in godly ways. So if that's not manipulation, if it's not intimidation, what does godly influence look like? Well, in the next few moments, we're gonna walk through this passage of scripture and hopefully see what that looks like. So here's the, if you're taking notes, and as I say, you get special rewards in heaven for doing so. How to influence people, asterisk, okay, I'm borrowing from Carnegie here, in godly ways. Okay, little, little change in Carnegie's book. How to influence people in godly ways. Number one, the method of godly influence. James begins here by laying out three very simple directives that give us some guardrails. Look at James chapter 1, verse 19. And this morning, I'm going to be using the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, as kind of my main preaching text this morning. 
James chapter one, verse 19, it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Follow along with me. Everybody should be, what's it say? Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Got it? Let's do it again. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, James is certainly not saying you should always follow these instructions. For instance, if somebody is walking towards the door after church today with their arms full and they're about to drop something like a baby and they say, can you help me? You shouldn't say, hmm, hmm, I'm just trying to be biblical. No, 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 no. No, James is saying that this is generally wise counsel. This is like a proverb in one sense. We should generally be quick to listen. We should generally be slow to speak. And we should generally be slow to anger. When my children are running out in the street and a car is coming, I shouldn't be slow to speak in that occasion. I should say, stop! Don't do that! But generally speaking, in a proverbial type sense, if we're to influence people in godly ways, we should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So what does each of these things kind of mean? Well, let's look at them kind of in turn. So be quick to listen. This is so important because we are often tempted to make assumptions, jump to conclusions, and state our obviously correct opinions when engaging others. Can you think of a time when you put your foot in your mouth because you didn't listen? Did that ever happen to you? Yeah. Today, right? Yeah. yeah. Simply because we don't take time. And Proverbs tells us that that's the case. If anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. If we are to influence others in godly ways, listen to this, listen to this very carefully. We must learn to be good listeners. If you want to influence people in godly ways, you must learn to be a good listener. Or to put it another way, we should seek to understand before seeking to be understood. This should really be our agenda all the time. We should seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Um, When I was in my doctoral studies, I had the privilege of studying under Dr. David Pallison, who is one of the kind of foremost voices in the field of biblical studies or biblical counseling. Just a really godly man. And personally, I have never met anyone who knows the Bible better than David Pollison. I mean, this guy just, you, you, you poke him and Bible comes out. That's just the way kind of he talks. And during my time there at Westminster, I had the occasion to several times sit down and eat lunch with, with Dr. Pollison, just, just one-on-one with this guy who knows the Bible backwards and forwards. And I would start talking about something, whether it was ministry or personal life, and I remember several times him doing this particular gesture. He'd kind of take his glasses off, he'd lean forward, he'd look across the table, he'd take his hand like this, and he'd say, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. And I'd talk a little more and he'd say, tell me more about that. You know how I felt in those moments? I mean, here's this guy who knows the Bible forwards and backwards. He's got a whole bunch of letters behind his name. 
He's written dozens and dozens of books. And he's sitting across the table from me and saying, tell me more about that. I felt valued. I felt cared for. I felt important. And when he did actually offer some counsel, guess what? I was very prone to listen to it. Because he took time to before saying, let me just kind of start pontificating and telling you what's right and what's wrong and what you should do. He took time to try to listen to me and to try to understand me. Brothers and sisters, if we are to really influence people in godly ways, we should be the best listeners on the planet. You know why? Because really good listening is a demonstration of godly love. If you love people, you really care about their best interests. If you're not just looking to kind of vent your opinion or have somebody, some sort of talking head where they can hear what you think and the wisest thing in the world, if you really love people, you know what you do? You listen to them. You try to understand them. You try to see where they're coming from so that when you do begin to speak, you can say things that are actually helpful in their life. And Gospel Hope, this is extremely important for us. In a church that is racially, economically, generationally, and politically diverse like ours, it can be tempting to make assumptions about people who are different from us. Have you had that experience? Somebody's different from you, so you make assumption about them and you begin to demonize them rather than to really understand them. So we think, say things like this. Well, he voted that way because he doesn't care about the poor. She voted that way because she doesn't care about morality. He is in that situation because he hasn't worked hard enough. She's just successful because she's been given every opportunity. He shouldn't be so upset because the past is in the past. She shouldn't be so naive because she hasn't gone through anything. Can you hear that in your head? This inner dialogue of making assumptions about people that are different than you, that have different assumptions than you, and you're really not loving them because you're not trying to understand them. You're not trying to listen to them. You're trying to, you're insisting that you be understood before you seek to understand. Because of the sinfulness in our hearts, we can be prone to demonize others with differing opinions or experiences from our own. But if we seek to be quick to listen, we actually begin to move towards each other. Let me kind of give you a, a, a visual of this. Travis, can you stand up here? This is dangerous when you sit on the front aisle. You know that. Okay. So here's Travis. So let's say Travis and I, here, stand over here and face me, are on differing ends of, let's just say, the political spectrum, okay? We both claim to be followers of Jesus, but we're, we're, we're different in the way we think about politics. Have you ever met people like this? Are you those people? Yeah, okay, yeah. So we start out like this and we're like, oh man, that Travis over there, He's the problem. What is, what is wrong with him? And Travis is saying similar things. Oh, look at that. Man, he should be. His career in acting is ahead of you, Travis. That's good. <laughs> so he's doing the same thing about me. But, but what should we do? We should begin, according to the Bible, to be quick to listen. Hey, Travis, why did you vote that way? And Travis says, da 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 And I say, oh, that's different than I thought. That's just closer to the way that I think, so I take a step. And Travis says, Ryan, why'd you vote that way? And I said, well, because of this. And 
He takes a step like that. And I say, well, Travis, why do you act that way? And he says, I'm like, oh, huh, that's kind of close to the way I think. And Travis says, Ryan, why do you act that way? And I say, I'm a parent on Charlie Brown. And, um, and Travis takes a step towards me. Now, we may not land in exactly the same place, right? But what happens by actually listening to, to one another? We begin to move towards one another. I stop saying that Travis is a demon or that he's the enemy or that he's the problem. And I actually understand them. And I say, you know what, Travis? We're not in exactly the same place, but you're my brother in Christ. And you're not saying anything immoral or ungodly. And, and I love you. And so here we are. We started way back here. And the only thing that changed is we began to what? Listen. We began to listen. And instead of telling him all the way he's wrong, I started to say, tell me more about that. Explain that to me. And I'm like, this brother loves God. And we don't think exactly the same on everything in our lives. And yet we can have sweet fellowship together because we are quick to listen to one another. Amen? Amen. All right. Thank you, Travis. We'll talk more after church. I'll get you straightened out. Yeah. Man, do you, do you often misunderstand your family members, your spouse, your children, your friends, your coworkers? Let me say this really kindly. Not, not in a mean spirit, but just in a helpful way. Do you listen? Are you quick to listen? Are you a person that has to get your opinion out there first? Do you strive to understand people more than you want them to understand you? James counseled to us, if we really want to influence people in godly ways, we must be quick to listen. Okay, next one. So it's quick to listen and then what? Let's try it again. One more time. Okay, you're just obeying the Bible because you're like slow to speak. Very good. Okay. James' next directive is closely related to the first. If we're quick to listen, then we will essentially be slow to speak. And this has some important implications. First, the verse says be slow to speak. Slow to speak. It doesn't mean the pacing of your voice needs to be slow. But it means we should avoid becoming advice dispensers. Seeking to give people answers virtually every time we open our mouth. Do you ever find yourself in a hurry to fix your family members? To fix your friends? Or to fix your coworkers? Do you feel obligated to be solutions oriented? Oh man, as a pastor, this is a gigantic temptation. I feel like people are coming to me for answers. So I feel sometimes that there's a great temptation in my heart to when somebody comes and talks to me to immediately begin to tell them what I think rather than being slow to, listen, slow to speak. Listen, do you hear things coming out of your mouth like, you should just, ooh. Brothers and sisters, don't say just very much. <laughs> Because what it does is it makes complicated problems sound like they're simple. If I were you, I would. Well, these aren't necessarily bad or evil things, right? I mean, it's not bad to give advice, but we shouldn't be like a Pez dispenser. Just every time we open our mouth, well, out comes advice. We should be a little more slow to speak. We've listened to people well, and then we're slow to speak. There does come a time where you must speak. 
But if we are too hasty in giving our assessments and actions plan for the situation, rather than carefully trying to understand, the net result is this. We will fail to influence people. People won't want to talk to you because they don't feel like you're trying to understand them. They just feel like you're trying to tell them what to do. Okay, but hang on, hang on. I'm going somewhere else though. The Bible not only says be slow to speak, but it says be slow to what? Speak. Be slow to speak and be slow to speak, which means this, eventually you have to say something. It doesn't say don't speak. It says be slow to speak in those situations. That means we shouldn't just always be silent. This simply means if we are to influence others in a godly way, there will be times when you open your mouth. Parents, you must correct your children. Don't fly off the handle. Don't be too hasty about it. But if you are to influence them in godly ways, you must correct them. You must speak. Believers, there will be occasions, there will be occasions where people in this church, people in your community group, people that are your brothers and sisters in Christ, where if you are really to influence them in godly ways, you will need to sit with them and challenge them about the way they're living. That is part of what it means to be slow to speak. It doesn't mean we get hasty. It doesn't mean we're judgmental. But there are times when we speak into the lives of our brothers and sisters because we want to have godly influence in their life. Believer, there are unbelievers in your life, right? Hopefully. There are even unbelievers that you would in some way consider your friends, right? There will come a time in your relationship, and it's not every time you open your mouth, but there will come a time in that relationship. If you want to have godly influence in their life, what will you do? You will speak. You will tell them about Jesus. They will not go to heaven if they have not heard the gospel. So being slow to speak doesn't mean we just kind of, you know, say nothing at all. Is it hard to understand me right now? Okay, good. Okay, yeah. It means that we're not too hasty in it, but eventually there comes a time where we open up our mouth because we want to influence people in godly ways. Let me put it simply like this. Bibli biblically motivated actions are critical, but they must eventually be explained by biblically informed words. Biblically motivated actions are critical. That is, you have to love people. You have to care people for people. You have to show it by deeds and acts of compassion. But eventually, you have to explain the way you are living by speaking biblically informed words. And this principle was powerfully driven home to me a couple of years ago. Um, I, had, I had recently become one of the pastors at Blueprint Church, which many of you are familiar with. It's a church downtown in Atlanta that sent us out as Gospel Hope. I, as a white man, had recently come on the pastoral leadership of a church that was majority minority. That is, it, it, was, it was over 60% African American. We'll just say it that way, okay? And in 2016, if you remember, that is when there was a, a, a rash of black men being shot by police officers. I mean, this just was the reality. So I felt when I initially came on the pastoral team, my responsibility was really to be quick to listen, to understand 
how my brothers and sisters of color were feeling during that time to try to really hear and try to really empathize with them in that. But I also was praying about our church and our country and about the folks that I was ministering to. The Lord really began to lay a burden on my heart like there came a time where I had to say something. I couldn't just be silent because my silence in one sense was discouraging to the very people that I wanted to encourage. Now I didn't want to fly off the handle. I didn't want to be quick to speak. I didn't want to be quick to become angry. I wanted to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And so you know what I did? After I had listened for a season, I picked up the phone and I started having some very strategic conversations with people. How you doing, brother? Tell me about what's going on in your heart. You know what? The Lord is still good in all this. He can give you comfort. He can help. And you know the universal feedback that I got? People said to me, Ryan, you don't know how much that meant to me that you tried to listen before you spoke, but eventually that you did say something. Those were meaningful things to me. Now, this is a dance. This takes a lot of wisdom in these situations, but brothers and sisters, this principle should just kind of be going through our hearts. We need to be quick to listen, try to really understand before being understood, and slow to speak. Don't just gush at every opportunity, but there does come a time if we're gonna be actually helpful to our brothers and sisters in Christ, helpful to the world that doesn't know Jesus outside of us, helpful to our spouses, helpful to our relationships, helpful to our coworkers, helpful to our children. There will come a time where all these biblically motivated actions have to be undergirded and explained by biblically informed words. Brothers and sisters, be slow about it, but do speak. Do speak. Open up your mouth and say words that are uplifting and encouraging and helpful. Then finally, be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and what? Slow to anger. You, again, you can see how all of these things come together. Oftentimes, the reason that we are not, that we are slow to listen and quick to speak is because we are quick to anger. We get mad and so we say things that we regret. We fly off the handle and we tear others down with our words rather than building them up. Sadly, I have seen this play out far too often in my parenting. Rather than seeing my children sin as immaturity, as a God-given opportunity to talk about the grace of God and share Christ with them, you know what I view it as? As an interruption to my schedule. How about you, parent? Do you ever view your kids as an interruption rather than an opportunity because anger has got a foothold in your life? How about you, married couple? Do you ever see your spouse as an interruption? How about you, employee? Do you ever see your coworkers as a problem rather than opportunities? We need to see these as opportunities, not interruptions. <laughs> a couple of years ago, uh, here's a story that kind of brings us home. Trisha sent one of our children. I have permission to share this story. So she's the villain. Okay, so uh, Trisha sent one of our children to get a belt from her closet. She said, hey, can you go get my belt? The child returned saying, mom, I can't find it. To which Trisha, in a somewhat irritated way, replied, that's because you are not looking carefully enough. 
When mommy gives you a job, you need to work diligently at that job until it is finished. After she finished her mini lecture, she looked down and she realized she was actually wearing the belt that she had sent the child to retrieve. Can you identify when we're quick to become angry, when we let anger get a foothold in our life, we say foolish things. We hurt people with our words. Obviously, this has implications far beyond parenting. For who of us has not been quick to anger? Why is this the case? Why are we so quick to get angry? Here's a couple reasons I thought of. Because we want change in others to be an event, not a process, right? We want to kind of have a magic wand that people just change right away. Do we change that way? Yes or no? No. But we want others to change that way. And so we want to yell at them and have it done with. Because we want ministry to others to be quick and easy. We just want to minister to people and it to be easy and them to always appreciate it. So, so we, we want to just let our anger loose when they're harder than we expected. Because we value being understood more than understanding. We yell at our spouse or our friend because my, I have to tell you that I'm right. That's the most important thing in the world right now that you know that I am 100% unequivocally right and you are wrong. Can you say it? Say it. Say you are wrong. Because we are more concerned about getting our way than being gracious. What we say in our house all the time, all the time. Is, is it more valuable to be served or to serve? Well, Jesus says it's more valuable to serve. But what do you want more right now? I want my way. I want others to do my thing. The reason that we are quick to anger all boils down to this. We are selfish people. Anger itself is not a sin. God is angry at times, the Bible says. He expresses his anger every day. And there are certain things that we should be angry about in this world. We should be angry about oppression and injustice and murder and child abuse and all kinds of things that we really should be angry about. But really, brothers and sisters, nine times out of 10, more like 99 times out of 100, my anger is rooted in sin. It's just because I want what I want and you're not giving it to me. So I am quick to anger and I use my words or the way I act or my actions to hurt you instead of saying, you know what? I need to be slow to anger. All right. Number two. So I gave you the method of godly influence. Now the reason for godly influence. Look at verse number 20 of James chapter one. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. That is, angry words and deeds do not generally bring about righteousness in other people. Or to put it another way, listen, this is a game changer. This really is a game changer. You do not encourage godliness in others by being ungodly yourself. You want your kids to be more obedient? You don't do it with anger. You want your spouse to be more selfless? You don't do it with anger. 
You want your coworkers to be more understanding and supportive. You don't do it with anger. You want your parents to, to listen to you more. You don't do it with anger. You want your, your friends to not be so nitpicky or gossipy. You don't change them with anger. You do not encourage godliness in others by being ungodly yourself. When I first got this, it was, it was really paradigm shifting. Because sometimes we can buy into the lie that the ends justify the means. So we raise our voice. We give the cold shoulder. Or we manipulate to get our way. And then when we succeed at it, we quietly congratulate ourselves on a job well done. But according to James, not only is this sinful, it's ineffective. Yes, we may win the argument, but we have not encouraged godliness in the heart of another person. Anger is simply not the right tool to encourage godliness in other people. <laughs> Let's suppose I had up here a, a board with a nail in it. Okay, and the nail was just barely in there. And I said, hey, can you come drive this nail into the board? And I gave you a screwdriver. And what would happen? Would you, get the, would you get the nail in the board? Some of you might, right? Not super effectively. But what would happen in the process of doing that? Man, that nail would get all bent. Your knuckles would get all bloody. It would be a disaster. It wouldn't be straight. It would be crooked. And you'd be hurt in the process. That's a lot of times what we think we can do with anger. We're trying to change people and we don't have the right tool. We bring anger to bear on it. And what do we end up doing? We bend the person and, and hurt the person and we hurt ourselves in the process. But if I had that same nail in the board and handed you a hammer, could you get the nail in the board? Some of you are like, no, I just hit my thumb. Okay, bad illustration for some of you. You coordinated Thule people out there. Could you get it in the board? Yeah, and would go in smoothly, straight, right the way it's supposed to. Why? Because you had the right tool for the job. Listen, the wrath of man, the anger of man does not produce God's righteousness. Whoever those people in your life that you're trying to influence, even when they get under your skin, you do not change them in a godly way by being angry with them. I remember, man, when I was a youth pastor, um, this was like aeons ago, um, and, and there was this young man in my youth group, and he was the angriest dude I ever met. I mean, he was just angry, angry kid. And you would talk to him and you just couldn't predict like when he was going to fly off the handle. And it was like just full on like rage monster going crazy. I mean, this kid was angry. So unsurprisingly, after knowing this boy for a few months, his parents called me up and said, his mom said, could you come over and talk to me? Because we're really having trouble with our son in the home and at school. And I was like, hmm, I'm not shocked by that. I'm happy to help. Let me come on over. So I go and I am sitting there with the mother and with the son. And we're trying to have a conversation. Hey, can you, 
can you tell me about the problem? Like, what's going on? What do you see as the problem? And the mom would start talking. And when, whenever the boy would try to interject anything, his mom would just, in like the loudest tones, you could, like really inappropriately, like unnecessarily loud, will you shut up? The first time I was like, jumped. And then he tried to say something. We, I don't care what you have to say. Will you just go in the other room? She did this periodically throughout the talk. And here's the thing. Is it any surprise that that young man was so angry? Yes or no? No. I don't have any doubt that this mother loved her son. I don't doubt that she cared for him and wanted him to do what's right. But the fact of the matter is she was using the wrong tool for the job. She thought somehow her anger would make him not angry. But it's the reverse of what the Bible says. The wrath of man does not produce the righteous life that God requires. When you are angry with others, you are bending them the wrong way. If we are to really have godly influence on people in our life, we cannot fight fire with fire. We have to learn to ourselves be godly and trust that the Lord will bring about his desired results and hit through his ordained message. Be slow to speak quick to listen, slow to become angry. Number three, the power behind godly influence. So how do you become the type of people that influence others in godly rather than sinful ways? Like how how do we make that transition in our heart away from trying to hurt people and harm people with our anger and actually influence people in the right direction? Fortunately, again, James answers this question. Look at verse 21. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save you. The first step in becoming a godly influencer is acknowledging and turning away from the ungodly ways we have tried to influence others. That's what it means to put away Put away, rid yourself of all the moral filth and the evil. You need to acknowledge it and confess it. Let me make some just really honest questions. Marrieds, have you been harsh with your spouse? I mean, just really stop and think about that. Have you been trying to change your spouse through harsh and hurtful words? Singles, are you harboring resent towards others in your life? Is there just this anger just kind of boiling in your heart because somebody has it better or different than you and it makes you mad? Parents, is your treatment of your kids marked by impatience? There's just a kind of streak of impatience in your heart towards the little ones that God has entrusted to you. Children, adult or, or child, child now, are you bitter towards your parents, towards what they've done or what they're doing? Employee, do you have a complaining spirit towards your employer? Manager, are you frustrated with your team? 
Man, if we're to re- wield real godly influence, we must first recognize and repent of the ungodly tactics in our life. For some of you today, the biggest step that you can take in this area towards really wielding godly influence in your life is confess that you have been angry. I was reflecting the other day, like there has just been like this undertow of impatience in my heart towards my kids. It's just there. And I was like, man, Lord, that is wrong. I'm angry at them just kind of constantly in this kind of low-grade impatience. I don't blow up, seldom yell at them, but there is in my heart this, this tool that I'm trying to manipulate them with, and it's not a godly thing. Lord, would you deliver me from that? Would you rescue me from that? I remember a scene from the Avengers and um, Captain America is standing there and they need the Incredible Hulk to walk out. And Bruce Banner, the alter ego of the Incredible Hulk, is standing there and Captain America says something like, hey, Bruce, we could really use the big green guy right now. Can you get angry or something? And Bruce Banner says, That's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. I was like, hmm. Isn't that describe us sometimes? I'm just always angry. Irritated, frustrated, short. It's kind of this low-grade, boy, what's, what's, what's my boss's problem? the inner dialogue of my heart. Why can't my spouse get it together? Why do those people treat me this way? My family is such a... Man, we should not always be hangry. We should not always be angry because we've been given so much and Christ died on the cross to forgive us. And the way that we begin to change is first acknowledge it. If you say, I don't know if that's me, but I I have some suspicions. Why don't you ask some people that are close to you? Just honestly ask them. Like, am I angry? Feel free to shoot straight. Am I an angry person? Is there anger in my life that is just kind of a note that you see consistently? But putting off that anger is only half the equation. We must also humbly receive the implanted word That is, if we're to combat our tendency to respond to others in anger, we must continually be listening to the word of God and allowing it to take root in our life. Man, at our old house in Chicago, uh, the, the previous owners had a whole bunch of landscaping. It looked really pretty, but I hated it. Because you know what landscaping brings? Weeding. Wasted hours out there in the sun, pulling out weeds and getting little stickers in my fingers. Not my cup of tea. I guess I'm angry all the time. There was this one section in our house, though, where there, were, uh, there was this ground-covering ivy. Um, and, and the thing about that ivy was that it was, like, dense and it was thick and it just kind of kept growing and growing so much so that in that section that you had to do little to no weeding because the 
ivy didn't allow weeds any foothold. There was so much of it and it was so thick that the weeds really, their, their seeds would get in there and it couldn't take root because the ivy was so much stronger and so much vibrant. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of what we're supposed to be doing in our lives. When those weeds of anger, when those weeds of complaining, when those weeds of hurt start getting into our life, if we are just consistently taking in the word of God and allowing it to go deep and take root, all of those things will begin to get crowded out in our life. The reason that some of you struggle so much with anger and not influencing others in godly ways, and I know this might sound trite, but it's because you're not taking the word of God in. The word is able to save your souls. And that does not mean in this passage, take you to heaven, but to help you to grow in godliness, to give you power over sin in your life. Just think about it. If there are areas of sin in your life, how is your Bible reading doing? How are you listening when the preachers are up here? What are you reading? What are you putting in front of you? I would contend to you that the more that we are receiving the implanted word into our hearts, the less room these weeds have to grow. Or to put it simply, a word-saturated heart is not a soil in which anger readily grows. As we receive the word, the fruit of the word, gentleness, peace, love, joy, Kindness and humility will take root in the soil of our heart and there simply will be no room for the weeds of anger and malice to flourish. I don't want to be overly simplistic, but if you want to start to influence people in godly ways, I think James' counsel to us would be, read your Bible. Listen to the word preached. Study God's word in consistent ways. Read good Christian literature. Go to the fantastic equip course that meets at 10 a.m. Get the word in there. It's not so that you can be good Bible trivia players. That's not our agenda. We don't want gospel hope to dominate at all Bible trivia tournaments. Our desires is that you know the word and love the word so that you make it. And though that sin gets driven out of your heart, receive with meekness the implanted word of God. <laughs> you may hear all this and say, man, Ryan, I, I want to influence people like that. I want to influence them people in godly ways. But I've botched it up so many times. I mean, I've blown it with my family I've blown it with my coworkers. I've blown it with my friends. Is there hope for me to influence others in godly ways? The answer is yes. Yes and yes. And it's where we as believers always find our hope. It's in the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. He did it in part so his people could now be called his ambassadors. Think about it for a minute. If you are trusted in Jesus, you are now an official ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What does an ambassador do? Well, 
an ambassador delivers the king's message. And he speaks with the king's own authority. But he is not responsible to make people respond. That's the job of the king himself. We don't have to force people to change. All we have to do is speak the king's message with the king's backing and rest that the Lord has the details and the results in his hands. Listen, parents, in your home, you are an ambassador of the king. You don't have to change your kids. You don't have to. You have to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry and represent the king in your household. Don't cajole them. Don't manipulate them. Don't intimidate them. Be an ambassador in your home because Jesus died to make you ambassador. Employee, in your workplace, you are an ambassador of the king. And no matter what the office politics are taking place, you don't have to engage in the gossip and backbiting and slander and complaints. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is speak the king's message, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry, and do it with the king's own authority. And if you do or if you don't get the promotion, that's on God. That's not on you. You are an ambassador. Jesus died so that you could just go in there and have the pressure all off. Friend, in your social media network, you are an ambassador of the king. You don't have to straighten everybody out. You don't have to engage in all the attacks on their person or their character. You don't have to dive down into the gutter. All you have to do is speak and act like an ambassador because you have the king's backing with you. Christian, in your neighborhood, you are an ambassador of the king. You don't have to make people respond to the gospel. You don't have to get, get all upset when they don't live the way you think they should live. You don't have to blow your fuse when they do something wrong. You have to speak and act like an ambassador of the king. Jesus died on the cross to give us the ability to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That is a blood-bought gift. And if you believe in the work of Jesus, you should also believe that you can do this thing because Christ died to enable you to be different than everyone else. You are his voice in the world. You are his endorsed messengers. You are his official ambassadors carrying all his weight, all his authority, and delivering his message in your homes and in your workplaces and in your neighborhoods. Brothers and sisters, we can have godly influence people because Jesus died so that we could be influencers, not to bend people the wrong way, but to bend them in the right way.